Hello there, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you've chosen to listen in today. We're in Revelation, God Rules. The episode we're on today is episode 15, God Rules Even in Dark Times. It's the episode for Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. One of the natural feelings that's quite understandable is when we go through the book of the Revelation, and we've been in Revelation 13, which we've been in for, I think, about the last four or five episodes, can't remember, is pretty pretty understandable if you come out of that chapter thinking, man, this is pretty dark where the world's heading. This feels hopeless because you see the, the beast the one we usually call the Antichrist, in global control, even demanding and receiving worship that no man can buy or sell unless he has uh, the mark of the beast and all of that. So it's easy to come out of that thinking, wow, this is so dark. Even now, we're not in the tribulation yet, but even now, many of us feel that we are living in increasingly dark times, and you would be right, but it's nothing compared to what it will be like to be on the earth during the seven years called the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and also it's called in the Old Testament the time of Jacob's trouble, where Israel as a nation is front and center stage and God deals with Israel. Now, let's go to Revelation 14. We're not going to do the whole chapter today, but we'll do a good bit of it. So I I thought about this, and I I think the Lord uh, guided my thinking to this title. I feel like it captures what we're going to see today in this part of Revelation 14, that God rules even when it seems desperately dark. Because coming right out of Revelation 13, guess what? We go to Revelation 14. So let's go to Revelation 14 and let's start in verse 1. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So who is this lamb? Well, we know by now, we should know, that in the book of the Revelation, this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So the Lord himself is standing on Mount Zion. Now, we don't know if this is the Mount Zion in heaven or literally on Mount Zion at the second coming. I think it it probably is that. But anyway, let's read what John sees that he's describing. Notice that it's 144,000. Now, this is not, as some groups teach, like Jehovah's Witnesses and maybe others, I don't know. This is not the people who are going to heaven, the 144,000. This many, many, many more people than that are going to heaven, a number will be in heaven that you you can't even put a name on the number. So we know that for certain. So who is this particular group of 140 and 4,000? 
Well, again, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. We let Revelation interpret Revelation. We don't have to guess. We've already seen them mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. These are 12,000 Jewish men from the tribes of Israel, and they are totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to, you can call them Messianic Jews, and they are on a mission to prove to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim him as the true God, the true Messiah. Now, we also have already seen that they are sealed in their foreheads with the name of God. And we, we see it again right here. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Isn't that great? Pastor Ed, why is that great? Because we just came out of Revelation 13, where when people take the mark of the beast, that the beast will require them to do or die. Some of them, I don't know how many, but I don't know, maybe it's 50-50, who knows, but some of them will put that mark right on their forehead. They are so proud they got the mark of the beast. In fact, I wonder if there are boosters for the mark of the beast, if they'll also go get the booster. <laughs> and I say, hey, this time put it on my forehead. You know, I don't know. I, I think they just take it once, but I'm just playing around there. But the world has already been primed to be oh so proud of doing what I'm required to do by government. Yep, I'm getting into that. <laughs> now, I did not say that taking a certain medication was the mark of the beast. But I'm just talking about that, that passion and zeal and pride in doing so. I think there's a, a small, small hint at the same thing, the same attitude that is going to permeate so many who, are, who just can't wait to take the mark of the beast. Well, notice here, that these 144,000, they don't, I mean, listen, God says, hey, I can seal my people and protect them. Amen, amen. Verse two, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So um, if, there's, if the Lamb is standing on the Mount Zion in heaven, then these hundred and forty-four thousand, I would say, apparently were martyred, and they were the first fruits from the tribulation period of those who, who trust the Lord Jesus Christ. But if this is kind of jumping out into the future and they're standing with him uh, on Mount Zion outside Jerusalem in that place, then they were protected all the way through the tribulation because either way, God had put his mark in their foreheads, his name right? Because they are sealed, right? You remember that already in Revelation? 
you know, basically God says, you can't touch them. And that must make Satan so angry. But there's nothing he can do about it because they have the seal of God. Amen? <laughs> I love that. That's great. So when we think, well, well, the Antichrist has total control and it will seem like that to the earth dwellers, God says, I've got this. I've got your back. I, I'm in control. I rule, not Satan. That's what you need to know when you go through a dark time. Now, look at verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. I would take that to let us know that they are especially dedicated to the Lord, where they have chosen to remain single in order to fully devote themselves to this evangelistic ministry as Messianic Jews obviously to the Jewish people, but also to anyone in the world who will listen to their message about the Lord Jesus Christ and their need for, uh, of the people who hear to be saved by Jesus. Now, they are, they are virgins in an age of, of complete sexual immorality. One of the things I mentioned, uh, I think two or three episodes ago, is that False religion, idol worship from ancient times, from all the way back, has always involved uh, ritual immorality. And that will probably be also true in beast worship. You can just imagine what that would be like. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. That's a very close relationship, right, with the Lord. And he's able to, uh, you know, use them in his ministry, ministering through them on the earth during the tribulation. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So it may even be that they literally survive all the way through the tribulation period. Although we're not, we're not really told point blank whether they do or not. Nevertheless, they are sealed and they are protected for as long as God has them ministering on the earth during the tribulation. There's nothing the beast, nothing the false prophet, nothing that Satan can do about it, Right? God rules even in dark times. Now, it goes on and tells us more about them. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. They are, they are blameless, we're told right here. So they, they are very special to the Lord, and they are greatly used by the Lord. The many, 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 many people who will refuse the mark of the beast and they will trust Jesus alone during the tribulation are going to hear the good news of Jesus and that there is an alternative to beast worship and eternal damnation and it's Jesus Christ that people don't have to choose Antichrist. They can choose Jesus Christ. Many of those people will have heard the message of this 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. Now, in verse 6, 
And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. So it's like, you know, high noon, when you look straight up, that's where this angel is visible in the world. How will the angel do that? Listen, if that's what God wants him to do, it's not a problem. God can make it happen. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. If you've been with us, you'll remember, there's that phrase again, them that dwell on the earth. Uh, in Greek, the earth dwellers. That's literally what it's talking about. Someone who's completely absorbed and dominated and preoccupied by and ruled by this world system. People who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not Christians. They probably don't want to be Christians. They probably hate Christians. Hey, if that describes you, you, sir or ma'am, are an earth dweller. So earth dwellers hear this proclamation, this preaching of the good news of Jesus, not only through the 144,000, but now they hear it by this angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now, somebody may research this and tell me, oh no, you were wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I don't think an angel has ever proclaimed the gospel like this. That is the job of Christians, of the church, in the church age. I mean, God could have angels do it right now, but he uses us in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? But at this point, the very mercy and compassion of God is warning the earth dwellers, those who are not heavenly citizens, those who are not Christians, they're not saved yet, don't take the mark. Now, now listen to what the whole verse says. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So just as the Antichrist, you know, he seems to have global control. Well, here is the global gospel. Everyone who has not yet taken the mark of the beast hears this warning. And by the way, I think that this ultimately fulfills carrying the gospel to the entire world. The church is doing what it can in this age, but during the tribulation, the prediction of Christ will be completely, ultimately fulfilled. And we're reading it right here, and this angel is involved in that proclamation. Verse 7, so this is what the angel's saying, saying with a loud voice, fear God. Now, people right now, during Revelation 13, what would they be tempted to Fear. Who would they be tempted to fear? The beast, right? The Antichrist. So the angel says here, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. In other words, worship the creator not the creature. Worship the creator God and not 
ultimately Satan, who is at the midpoint of the tribulation, actually he indwells the beast. So Satan lives through the beast. So you hear the train whistle, the horn in the background. People get ready. There's a train coming, let me tell you. That's a fact. But notice here that the hour of his judgment is come. In other words, God's complete victory will be completely enforced when everything is said and done. It's so certain, it's a done deal, even though it hasn't happened yet. That's how this is presented. Verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Oh, let's stop right there in verse eight. I want to read to you a a couple of passages that I, I found to be really great. Dr. Lorraine Butner Uh, spoke the first one I'm going to give, and then Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, also uh, he spoke the second passage I'm going to give. Now listen, Uh, actually I got ahead of myself, I'm sorry. I'm going to read a quote from Dr. John Walford uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary many years ago, great prophetic teacher. So Dr. Walford says, prophetically, Babylon sometimes refers to a literal city, sometimes to a religious system, sometimes to a political system, and I would add uh, sometimes to a financial system. That's what I think. All stemming from the evil character of historic Babylon. And let me read that again. Prophetically, Babylon sometimes refers we're talking about in the Bible, to a literal city, sometimes to a religious system, sometimes to a political system, all stemming from the evil character of historic Babylon. So now, with that in mind, let's go back and reread verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. To put it another way, the the destruction and fall of Babylon is certain. It's certain so much that you can consider it a done deal. Even though right now as I'm podcasting this and you're listening, Babylon, the religious system, the political system, the financial system is all very much alive and well. But this angel says, hey, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So if you're putting all your trust in this world system, if you are counting on this world system, the world's religions, the world's finances, the world's politics and governments, if that's where you're putting your hope, you are doomed because Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, the angel says that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So now, let's let's look at this a little bit, but we're going to see more as we go into Revelation in the coming weeks 
in the next episodes where we're going to way more detail. But notice here that the angel says that great city. I think this can mean uh, there's a lot packed into this most probably. Obviously, it is the the world system through which Satan works right now, and especially the tribulation. It's the world system through which the beast rules during the tribulation. But notice he says that great city, it may refer back to Babel. We often say, you know, the Tower of Babel was Babel. And that's where Nimrod established the first false religious system. And they sought to develop a unified world of all the people so God couldn't tell them what to do anymore. This was Nimrod, and it had a, a, a governmental system, a religious system, and probably a financial system, and God just destroyed it. <laughs> That's going to be rebuilt through the beast in, Revelation, in the tribulation, and we see that in Revelation 13 as an example. But this whole system is coming down, baby. I mean, when you see what's going on around us right now, I never thought I would live to see the rapid decline of America as a nation. And yet, if you live in America, you are just as stunned as I am. And probably, I know that we have people who listen in France and Singapore, and uh, I mean, all over the place. It's Canada, imagine that, Canada, <laughs> our neighbors to the north. Just imagine that people all over the world who listen to this are watching from the outside and they can't believe it either. Well, we live here and we can't believe what's happening, but all of this world system is coming down. So you need to choose which wall you're going to lean your ladder against. If you're leaning your ladder against this world system, you are going to fall with it. But if you take your ladder and you lean it against Jesus Christ, you will be the ultimate winner. And you can make that choice. And if you feel like God's telling you to do that right now, you need to ask him to be your Savior and Lord. Confess your sin and receive his forgiveness through his finished work at Calvary. And you know that he rose again on the third day and that he is able to give you eternal life. Amen. And you should do that right now if you've never done that. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse nine. And the third angel followed them. Can we get agreement? There's a lot of angels showing up here right now. And I'm gonna tell you this, angels can be bring wonderful news and blessing like when they heralded the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. What a wonderful event. But angels can also lower the hammer. They can bring the bad news. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice. Oh, now listen, listen to what he's saying. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented 
with fire and brimstone and the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question. What is that angel warning the earth dwellers about? And in, in our time, he's warning anyone who may go into the tribulation about this. What's he warning them about? So I don't know, Pastor Red, could he be more clear? No, this is very clear. Don't allegorize it, symbolize it, or vaporize it. Don't do anything but take it and in its plain sense because it makes no sense and don't seek any other sense. In context, we know for certain that this angel is warning people not to take the mark of the beast, not to worship the image of the beast, and not to take his mark in their forehead or in their right hand. He is warning them because if they do, it is all over for that person. And notice it says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. This is individuality. You can't say, well, my mama made you do it or whatever. Listen, you are responsible. You bear individual responsibility. Now, <laughs> listen, I want you to realize something. Many by this point in the tribulation period will have already taken the mark of the beast and the pressure's on for everybody to do that. And a, sort of a carrot and stick thing, if you do it, you can be part of the system. If you're in, you can buy and sell. And oh, by the way, you, we will let you live. That's the deal from the Antichrist. But if you don't, here's the stick part, carrot and stick. If you don't, we're going to kill you because we can track you down. There's nowhere to hide in our surveillance society. We will find you and we will kill you. Now, we know from the rest of Revelation that they are beheaded. This is serious business. So this angel is sent by a loving God to warn those who've not yet taken the mark of the beast, but they are earth dwellers at this point, not to do it. Because the ultimate result is they will spend eternity in the lake of fire that's, listen to me, it is real, it is real. Oh, Pastor Ed, doesn't that mean that they, they are just troubled in their conscience like liberals say? No. I don't know how this happens, but we are being warned that if anyone takes the mark of the beast, he will finally end up forever in that fire and brimstone that the Lord Jesus Christ warned about. And he's warning about it here in the book of the Revelation because he gave John the message. 
We're still being warned by the Lord about this real place no one should ever want to go to. Now, we're not in the tribulation while I'm recording this. Who knows what next week holds, right? (laughs) But if you die without Jesus, you get the same result. You need to turn today to the Lord Jesus Christ while you have a chance. Because listen, what does it say? In case we don't get it, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. So the idea that there's no hell, no lake of fire, is a lie when people say there's nothing like that. Jesus knows there is, and that's why he warned about it so often in his preaching and teaching in his earthly ministry, and he's doing it again here in the book of the Revelation. Well, maybe it's like they just go there a little while and they're let out. Nope, there's two destinations according to the Bible and according to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's heaven and there's hell. There's no in-between and there isn't, there, uh, purgatory isn't either destination. There is no purgatory. Say, so, well, I've always been taught there was. You were taught wrong. You were lied to. That's a lie from Satan. There's no such thing as purgatory. Now, I've read the Bible, I don't know, way over 40 times. I'm listening to it again this year like I did last year. So you go read the whole Bible, and you do it every year for 40 years, and you're never going to find purgatory in the Bible. It's not there. There's no way when you end up in hell in the lake of fire, there's no way out. It's forever, and it's real, and you don't want no part of that. Again, verse 11 is is frightening to even read. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Verse 12. Um, Well, let, let me hang on. Let me not do verse 12 yet. Let me read the two quotes I got ahead on a while ago. Now, by the way, Let me also say, and we'll look at this more when we look at Babylon later in Revelation. When people say, oh, well, Babylon doesn't exist as a city anymore. Well, we know where it was for certain in Iraq. I mean, it's being dug by archaeologists probably while I'm making this. And people often say, well, it's just symbolic for the world system, the religion and the financial system and all that. And it is. But I'll tell you what, many Bible teachers and preachers from old times believed it would be resurrected as a city, as the, like the capital city of the beast. Like we think of New York City as a financial center of the whole world. Some people think of it that way. Babylon could well be literally a city. And some people say, well, it's code for Rome. Listen, I know about all of those things, but I want to make a point here. Have you, do you know about the cities that are being created almost instantly? I think it's in Dubai, in the Middle East. It's pretty amazing. 
So it would be no problem to uh, resurrect this city and make it spectacular where it's actually a literal city that's actually literally judged and it's the home headquarters of the, of the world religious system and political system and financial system and governmental system of the beast. I realize it could be those other things, but I want you to think, how often does Bible prophecy have a literal fulfillment? Uh-huh. Yeah, just to, I would say it's 100% accuracy record on that. So I, let's put it like this. We could, we could discuss this all day. I think it's very possible that there will be a new city called Babylon that represents all of this. So we'll have to see what happens in the tribulation to know how it's going to play out. They say, well, wouldn't that be really hard? Not hard for God, right? If God says that's what's going to happen, if that's what it is, that's what's going to happen. It's not hard for God. <laughs> God rules even in dark times. Just think about the ability of God and his power. All right, here's the two quotes that I got ahead of myself while I go, and they relate to the fire and brimstone. Now, right about now, some of you are saying, that's what I hate about the church. It's all fire and brimstone. Well, A, no, it's not. B, if that place is really real, Christians and churches <laughs> should be under judgment if they're not warning mankind about it. Get it? Now, this is what Dr. Lorraine Bettner said many years ago. I wish to present a paragraph or two from one of my teachers, Dr. R.A. Torrey. I sat in class as a boy of 18 and heard Dr. Torrey lecture on the future destiny of unbelievers. He said, and this is a quote, in conclusion, two things are certain. First, the more closely men walk with God and the more devoted they become to his service, listen, the more likely they are to believe this doctrine. Many men tell us that they love their fellow men too much to believe this doctrine. But the men who show their love in more practical ways than sentimental protestations about it, the men who show their love for their fellow men as Jesus Christ showed his by laying down their lives for them, they believe it even as Jesus Christ himself believed it. That's what Dr. Lorraine Botner quoted Dr. R.A. Torrey as saying. Now here's a second quote from Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, great expositor. Second, men who accept a loose doctrine regarding the ultimate penalty of sin things such as uh, restorationism or universalism, like where well, everybody's eventually going to be saved, or annihilationism like, um, like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do as an example. 
That's what he's talking about. Second, men who accept a loose doctrine regarding the ultimate penalty of sin lose their power for God. They may be very clever at argument and zealous and proselytizing, but they are poor at soul saving. They are seldom found beseeching men to be reconciled to God. They are more likely to be found trying to upset the faith of those already won by the efforts of others than winning men who have no faith at all. If you really believe the doctrine of endless conscious torment of the impenitent and the doctrine really gets hold of you, you will work as you never worked before for the salvation of the lost. If you in any wise abate this doctrine, it will abate your zeal. As I said earlier, in the tribulation, when the Antichrist gains complete control and the mark of the beast is introduced, worship is required, the mark is required, basically there will be only two choices. Bow or be slain. You know what the Lord's answer to that is? Be slain and be blessed, like that 144,000. Now, there's only two destinations, and purgatory isn't either one of them. Now, listen, right now, if you are trembling, literally, and spiritually, and you know that you feel like you're standing on the very edge of hell, you should turn and cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Repent of your sins. Ask him to forgive you. Receive a new birth from the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to live him every day warning people that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. Some of you need to speak with a counselor. I want you to call 888, and I want you to do this as soon as the episode's over. Call 888-388-2683. One more time, 888 388 2683. It's a Christian ministry. If you call that number, you can speak with someone about how to turn to Jesus Christ and escape an eternal hell. If you're already a Christian and you need some encouragement, you will get that encouragement when you call 888-388-2683. Now, if the Lord doesn't come first, which he might in the rapture, and Satan, the deep state, and the World Economic Forum don't double tap me, then I'll be back next week with episode 16 of Revelation, God Rules. I want you to like this episode, follow the podcast so you can be notified every week when there's a new episode. And I want you to do one more thing. If you believe what I said a moment ago about heaven and hell, I want you right now to share 
this episode with someone that you know needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it before you close up your device. Share this episode with someone right now. We'll be back next week if the Lord doesn't come first and I'm still here. Bye-bye.